get into the theater and the usher nods me in. They know me here. I descend down the staircase behind the movie screen that only select people know about. The door at the bottom opens and I walk in. The sound of movie spoilers fill the air. The barkeep has my drink ready and motions me to the back. The rest of the crew are here already. This is my type of place and these are my type of people. Join me as we discuss the inner secrets of cinema. Have a seat in the spoiler room. Who knows? Here with you. You're here with me, and I am here, and wow, are we here. We are this month. It's the 15th anniversary month. If anybody hasn't heard me talk about it, I apologize, but you're still going to hear more about it. It's our 15th anniversary week, and so I decided, let's see if we can just spread the fun of the spoiler room across multiple channels. So we are multicasting tonight, folks, for as long as the system lets me. Uh, (laughs) So anybody out there watching on the Facebook group, on the YouTube and on the Twitter, welcome to the spoiler room. I am your host, Mark, the movie man. So glad you could join us today by venturing down the stairs, pulling up a chair and getting a drink and sharing it with us as we talk movie spoilers. And we are kicking off. Our Saw is Family Month, or excuse me, hold on, let me wait. The Saw is Family. Um, no, uh, <laughs> my worst Vin Diesel. Um, yes, uh, the whole month uh, it is going to be Chainsaw movies. We're doing Texas Chainsaw 1, 2, 3, and then for giggles, we're doing Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers at the end of the month. Don't. If you ever want a picture of how my brain works, there you go, folks. I came up with that idea like that, and we went with it. And tonight, I have a wonderful crew to talk about probably one of my favorite horror films. And whether or not it's their favorite horror film, we'll find out tonight. We're talking Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 1974. And with me tonight, first up, she is back with us. Hello, Angelique. Welcome back to the Spoiler Room once again. Hello. So glad you could could uh, be with us. How does it feel to be multicasting? It tingles a little. There's <laughs> 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 some tingling feeling, but you know it's still early, so we'll see yeah. what happens. Yeah, I haven't lost a thumb yet, so we're good. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> well, the fourth is over though, so we we should be all right. No. Uh, well. We're dealing with chainsaws now, though. We are dealing with chainsaws, which is even more deadly. Uh, (laughs) And with me as well, he is uh, once again with us in the spoiler room. We've been doing this consistently for nearly a year and a half now, my friend. It is bonkers. That is bonkers. And speaking of bonkers, Mr. Ian Simmons kicking the seat. Hello, Ian. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. This is the second time in a month I'm going to talk about this movie, and I am raring to go. Yes, this is one of my favorite horror movies. That's that's great to hear. Uh, I'm I'm that makes me happy to hear that because that will make this conversation probably go a lot better. No, just kidding. <laughs> I hate Texas Chainsaw. Toby Hooper's a hack. Oh well, <laughs> it's going to get bloody, folks. Angelique, uh, <laughs> you can be referee, and uh, let's go. Well, this is my all-time favorite movie. It's not hey. my favorite horror movie. Wow. It's not my favorite comedy. It is my favorite movie. Oh period. well. Well, you lead with that. We got to hear uh, 
So uh, do you remember the first time you saw this movie? Yes. <laughs> I, was, I was much too young. But it, it, it scarred me in the best way. <laughs> Put it this way. When I saw this, Night Court was still on the air. Yeah. And I was like, that's Dan. <laughs> I know that yeah. voice. I yeah. know that voice. <laughs> it's it's Dan. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really wild. I didn't really recognize it too much till years later when I looked up the credits and I'm like, holy crap, that's you know. And it was really cool that they got him to do the voiceover for the uh, uh you know the remakes. They got him actually back. I thought that was kind of cool that they got Mr. Larroquette back for that. Um, but do you remember Ian when you first saw? TCM. I was, yeah, this is, uh, I imagine this is probably a, a story for all of us, but you know, again, like Angelique said, I saw this when I was way too young. Um, I don't remember exactly when it was. Um, I was probably nine or 10. I think by that point, Texas Chainsaw 2 was probably at the video mm -hmm. store and I probably saw the standee and everything. I was like, right. what's that about? And so they weren't going to let me watch the second one without the, seeing the first one. So I think I watched <laughs> with my dad and um, it. It's, it's integral to the plot. <laughs> well, yeah. kind of. Um, yeah. No, but, but I, I didn't, uh, I didn't quite, it didn't freak me out. It didn't sure. scare me. I just remember mm -hmm. it being really weird and kind of uncomfortable because this is not like a conventional horror movie. No. Um, yeah. And even, I don't know, I, I love the second one. I love the first one, but uh, there's something that, and they're both so different in their own way. Mm -hmm. It's almost hard to describe like what it is about them. I think that's why the first one is such a groundbreaking movie. It's not quite a slasher. Uh, it just feels so grimy and real that you could almost feel like it was based on a true story. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's that, it's that look, you know, uh, it's that, um, documentary type look to it i think that does it you know because it is low budget and i've said that before i think that's kind of the impact the aesthetic that it was shot on uh i think was uh one of those that that helped add to its effect um i too was uh too young to watch this film when it came out. It's kind of the story of, of us Gen Xers, folks, is our parents let us watch movies when we were way too young for it. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and I dug it, you know, I dug it quite a bit. I thought it was wild. I'm like, holy crap, you know, it probably first indie film you could consider and, and it opened up the way for other, you know, the darker slasher type films, um, I think, in a lot of ways. So for me, it had an impact. I mean, I loved it and I used to watch it quite a bit. I watched it probably the most out of any of the chainsaw movies. Um, it's, it's probably the one I've watched the most. And I just, I enjoy it for its spirit, what he did with what little he had. And maybe it's also the Wisconsin tie because you know, Ed Gein, uh, yeah. so, <laughs> so there is that as well. Uh, so, yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, who wants to? Let's see. Uh, Angelique, why don't you give the synopsis of Texas Chainsaw Massacre for those two people out there who may not know <laughs> what it's about? It's going to have spoilers, y'all. 
<laughs> it's it's the spoiler room. It the movie's only forty seven years old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we do have these 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 youngins coming up. So you know, if they if they're listening, <laughs> stop it right now, or you're going to be spoiled. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the story of Sally Hardesty and her friends and her asshole brother Franklin. <laughs> and we'll get into that, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who are uh, headed to check on their granddad's, is it? Yeah. yeah their granddad's yeah. place in who knows where, Texas. Texas. Um, just, just, middle of nowhere, Texas. <laughs> yeah. Um, the film opens uh, showing the, the desecration of a graveyard. And it's not just like, oh, somebody dug up something. No, this is foul. Like, there's bits and yuck all <laughs> over the place. Uh, so they're coming to make sure that, that their family's graves haven't been messed with. And they're going out to the old family house. Um, along the way, they pick up a hitchhiker. Don't pick up hitchhikers. <laughs> is the moral of the entire movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they pick up the hitchhiker and it goes way sideways real quick. Uh, then they go over to their granddad's house and it's all dilapidated and fallen and it's hot as crap. You can tell these people are miserable. And a couple of them want to go swimming in the old swimming hole, which is gone. Which is gone. I love that. <laughs> all dried up yeah yeah it, it's gone so they see a house close to the swimming hole and they decide to break in and disturb this family <laughs> again guys breaking and entering is a crime and uh punishable by uh many things <laughs> by texas by justice mallet, yeah yeah by a mallet to the brain and a chainsaw to the business so <laughs> But uh, basically, this home is the, the house of the Sawyer family, um, whom the hitchhiker is a member of. And it's a, a family of folks who used to work at the stockyards and the slaughterhouse. And, of course, the slaughterhouse stockyards shut down. They're in the middle of economic just drought. And they're, you know, in a food desert. So you get a little you hungry. You get a little yeah. hungry. What, yeah. what do you do? You know, meat's meat. <laughs> Best damn barbecue this side of the Pecos. Hell yeah. So you, you can you can pretty much surmise what happens there. Uh, everybody gets picked off except for our heroine, the yes. very first of the final girls. Sally. Yeah. Yeah, because this was before Halloween, so Yes. The Queen. Queen perfect goddess Sally Hardesty in her purple tank top and what used to be white bell bottoms. <laughs> she <laughs> gets hit in the head, put in a burlap sack, tortured with a broom, hit with a meat mallet, her fingers sliced up, sucked on by an almost zombie, she jumps out of a window and runs away. Two windows. Gets caught again. Jumps out of another window. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> runs like hell from Leatherface. 
to a semi truck. The guy almost turns it over. Yeah. All the while, she's screaming. Leatherface is swinging that chainsaw like nobody's damn business. Kills the trucker, unfortunately. But then a regular ass pickup truck is coming down the road. Wasn't going to slow down. No. <laughs> she jumps in the back of the truck, escapes, laughing. Her sanity gone. Yeah. Yet, is it? <laughs> well, well said. Well said. Um, yeah, I love this movie. I'm watching it again. I watched it with, with my, uh, my oldest. He turned 21 today at the time of this recording. So, oh, happy birthday. So my oldest, and he sat down, and over the past five years, as people have heard me mention before, he's grown and not, I wouldn't say affection, but he's grown to enjoy and wanting to watch horror and consume horror, which was a, just a switch from when he was a kid. And me as being a horror dad, I'm, I'm digging it. I'm like, Hey, you want to watch this? Yeah. Okay. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> so we sit down and watch this and you know, he's a different generation and I always like to get his perspective, especially for a film like this. And he said that it was okay. Uh, but he made the mention of, he's like, you know, they broke into the guy's house. He's like, <laughs> he's, he's like, they, you know, they broke into his house. So, you know, they were just defending themselves. I mean, you know, eminent in domain, you know. Well, in this, in this part of Texas, in this part of Texas, it's known as the stand your ground beef law. There you go. <laughs> Nice. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> it is. Thank you. It is a beautiful thing. But it was interesting to hear his perspective because he said, you know, he knew he could tell it was kind of, uh, you know, going to pick up at the end. He figured that's the way it was going to play out. And I'm like, I was trying not to give, say anything or even react like I normally do when I watch a movie and I've watched a movie and I'm sitting with someone who hasn't watched before. The one thing, well, you guys, I'm sure, one thing I'm trying not to do is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and the other one i'm trying not to do is make little noises like oh uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> you're gonna miss it you're gonna miss it <laughs> but i mean he he dug it but he you know it's older and he he said well the thing is you see a lot of this now and i'm like yeah but this was like the first or you know pretty much the first slasher i mean everybody talks about halloween and jason but if you look at even those two films you could see bits and pieces they borrowed from texas chainsaw i mean and, and texas chainsaw was just it's just nasty it is. you know i mean like that that scene at the end where leatherface uh when he gets hit in the head with a wrench and he falls down and the chainsaw cuts through his leg it looks like an actual chainsaw cutting through someone's leg. It's not like an effect. It's like you see the fabric burn away and little chunks of like fat, burning fat bubbling up underneath the the blade. Mm -hmm. yep. It's it's hard to watch. And it's it's funny. Um, I remember there was another tie to this movie for me. Um, it was nineteen. It was nineteen eighty six. I don't remember if I had seen the movie like at this point, but it was right around that. You know, mm -hmm. like I said, nine or ten. The movie Summer School with Mark Harmon. Oh, Did yeah. you guys ever see that? I yeah. loved it. I watched that. I watched that quite a bit. 
Yeah, there it was always on TV, and I loved that movie. And the two uh, characters, Chainsaw and Dave, Dave, yeah, they were obsessed with Ch- Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and they actually showed Mark Harmon let them show it in his class. And it's funny because <laughs> when when Leatherface, I think when he bursts out of the house with a chainsaw at the end, they're sitting there going Leatherface, 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 <laughs> they're chanting his name. And so that's I was like, what is this movie? And I think it was right around that time that I went to the video store and saw mm-hmm. the standee and all that. And because um, my parents would let me watch summer school, there's something going on in my house. I don't know. They let me watch all sorts of horrible things. Um, that was all but, our parents. I, I'm saying that was a trend. That's a running joke of everyone I talked to from the eighties. Like, yeah, I probably should have watched that at that age, but you know, I was talking earlier today about uh, Revenge of the Nerds, and it occurred to me that I would I would have been watching that movie when I was eight years old. <laughs> yeah, that one, that one. Watching it now is kind of like. That, yeah, that we one. Were talking about that, and the thing is, like, it's not just. It wasn't a situation where my dad would be like, "Hey, don't tell tell your mom we watched this together." This is like family dinner night. Yeah, downstairs yeah. watching right? Revenge yeah. of the Nerds, <laughs> Police Academy. Mm-hmm. Police yep. Academy was another one uh, that we ended up watching together and your parents never said anything. I mean, you know, it was like material came up like that. Well, those 80s comedies, you know, people talk about how formulaic horror is. Let me tell you about 80s comedies, even <laughs> the big ones, the very popular ones, especially in the mid 80s. You had to have nudity. <laughs> you had to have all your stereotypes. Uh, <laughs> played yeah. like caricatures, and yeah, um, the humor was definitely that would not land today. Uh, mm. so, but landing today in in Texas Chainsaw, one of the things he pointed out, which is something, it's one of those things where I I love the movie, and this was like the first time for a very long time I watched down and kind of turn on the critical eye, you know, pay attention to a few more things rather than just digging it. And well, you guys, you you both know you watch a movie a little differently when you have to actually do a little critiquing versus just pulling, grabbing a drink and go, okay, let's watch this and enjoy it. (laughs) Um, He mentioned just how much foreshadowing is in this film. And I'm like, holy crap, you're right. From when they meet, you know, the hitchhiker to them talking about this, the, the Zodiac. Mm-hmm. You know, and the retrograde, which uh, it's like Saturn's in retrograde to Angelique. I don't know if you you've watched this probably many times. The radio broadcast. Yeah. Blew my they're, mind. They're because- telling you exactly what's happening. There are people going missing. <laughs> there are murders that don't go to this town. Just keep <laughs> driving. Well, it's not only that, but global events, too. It's not just in Texas. Everything on Vietnam. Yeah. Everything on that radio is negative. (laughs) Well, I think that's the that's sort of the, you know, one of the bits of subtext is the Mm -hmm. sort of invincibility of youth. Like these are just, you know, kind of hippie kids bumming around. They're not, you know, fighting in the war or anything. They're just carefree going across America. They don't they're not they don't have to pay attention to anything even though all the warning signs are flashing right at their heads they're like yeah whatever it's fine (laughs) yeah grandpa wasn't dug up so we're okay franklin never mind the grotesque statuesque thing that was made from body parts sitting on a post at the graveyard no no hey i mean i i 
I don't know what art is, but I know it when I see it. <laughs> <laughs> and that thing was definitely art. <laughs> it was it was something. Um, also, like when they get to the graveyard, there's that that weird, you know, old drunk guy just like rolling around on the ground. I'm like, what is this place? This is yeah. Just get in the van and go home. Just go home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, best barbecue in town, though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which again when you see the gas station guy i was watching it today and again with the critical eye i'm like holy crap this is where because a lot of people say you know and no offense to the movie at all it's still one of the 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 pioneers in slasher films but friday the 13th the old warning guy at the gas station but i'm like actually it was done in texas chainsaw massacre now granted the bad guy was the one doing the warning but you know i'm sorry He's given you a chance. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. He saw the mark on your car. Y- y'all might just want to go on, mm-hmm. you know, or something bad's going to happen. And I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's already got the smoke smoker going. So, <laughs> you know, he's got a side of beef in there. Uh, <laughs> beef was the nickname of the guy that he cut up. So, yeah. <laughs> was a linebacker (laughs) (laughs) and now he's a baby backer baby back baby back baby back baby back ribs (laughs) oh yeah damn it now i'm hungry i shouldn't be but (laughs) we're talking cannibal movie and ian's getting hungry folks there you go well Um, something makes me crave barbecue like nobody's business i mean i'll i'll get a pint of barbecue and just sit down with a loaf of bread and watch take the stains on mask <laughs> I'm single, guys. <laughs> <laughs> She's available. <laughs> if you can, if you can bring over the cornbread, you two are match made in heaven. So, the t- oh, there, there's your new show, the Texas Chainsaw Matchmaker. There, oh. <laughs> um, no, I the the thing that weirded me out watching it this this time, and I it may have bothered me, but not in a level that I really registered was. Mm-hmm. Uh, Franklin, he gets some barbecue from this gas station. And when he, I think it's when he's looking at the mark, the sausage that's hanging out of his mouth. What? I've never had anything that looks like that in my mouth before. Sausage. Was that what that was? Maybe it's a, it's a, it's a homegrown Slim Jim. That, but it was like this fat bulbous, like, Tumor yeah. hanging out of his mouth. Well, yeah, that's. I, 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 you're gonna have to DM me your address, and I'll make you a care package. <laughs> well, this is gonna be the mail thing all over again. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I, you know, I, again, I love barbecue. It's just I, when I saw that, I thought, is this Toby Hooper trying to give some kind of like a, a subtle in joke that that's like a human body part or something? Because I'd never it, seen something uh... that looked like that that people were eating. Yeah, no, I've I've seen it before. It just I've never seen someone just keep it in their mouth for so long like a cigar. I mean, he 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 well, should I guess be the movies to show you chewing Mark. it. Yeah, I, I'll, don't do that again. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> you get a whole different group of people watching. But uh, <laughs> that's it, the Texas Vein Saw Massacre. Oh, no, sorry. yeah. Um, I do go have for it. two porn parodies of well, the Texas Vein Sitting on myself. So. Only two. Only two. Yeah. Only what, two. What, what, are, what are they named? Texas Vibrator Massacre. That one's bad. Oh, wait, no, that's the one I have. That yeah. one was, 
bad. Well, that that one is better than the other. We watched some porn parodies for Astro Radio Z, our friends over there. Which <laughs> check out their check out their podcast, folks. Uh, we used to do once a year. We used to do porn parodies where they we, we would cut them down to just the story bits, so the movies were like <laughs> fifteen minutes long, and then we would talk about them. Um, yeah. Unless tell, I tell was, that, yeah. Tell me in one of these Texas chainsaws, is the killer is it rubber face? <laughs> No. And is he wearing is he wearing a mask made of stitched together parts of like broken condoms? No, but now you no, just now I'm gonna have to make that movie. Now, <laughs> what did we talk about? It's the internet rule. We just mentioned it. It already Magnum happened. Magnum face, you know. Yeah. Mag- yes, yeah. Magnum face. <laughs> <laughs> you know, leather face. It's funny with the leather face character because especially if you're from Wisconsin and you know the story of Ed Gein, what's disturbing is. He actually did that. Um, so seeing it on the screen like that, and especially if you know the background of what influenced this house, that does, I think, add that other level, Ian, like you were talking about, that almost documentary feel for them because it did happen. I mean, you've got that lamp made, you know, lit up above the dinner table. That's a head. It's literally someone's head with a light bulb in it hanging. And the thing is, Ed Gein had his mom, uh, had not his mom, had the woman who worked at the uh, uh, the um, hardware store that he had killed put nails in her head, and she, he made a wall ornament out of her head in Mother's house. Um, you know, so... Have you seen have you seen pictures of these crime scenes? Have you yeah. just read about yes. them? Yeah. No, I, no, there's a book when I was 13, I became fascinated by the story and I read the case book that they released that has the story leading up to his trial, the transcript from his trial and crime scene photos. My god. I made the mistake of looking up. I, I watched a drama a few years ago. It was really good. I can't remember the name of it unfortunately, but it was about uh Jeffrey young like teenage Jeffrey Dahmer. Mm-hmm. I think it might have been based on uh my friend Dahmer. My friend Dahmer is yeah. yeah, right. Um, yeah, that's right. Because I read the graphic novel and it's it's very close. It's good. But I went and I looked up the crime scene photos from Jeffrey Dahmer because oh, no. it's such it's such a sympathetic portrait of Jeffrey Dahmer as this is really messed up teen that I got so far into the movie, I'm like, could he have been a monster? Oh yeah, he was a monster. <laughs> like I, I'm still haunted by some of the stuff. Even the photos that I saw, like they had, I think to protect the identity of the mm-hmm. people in the photos, something like they had like put it like black, black X's bars, over yeah. the eyes. I'm mm-hmm. like, that kind of makes it worse. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, I'm a true crime buff. Oh. And from from way back myself, sure. you know, staying in my aunt's house for the summer you know i'd come visit my grandparents and then i'd get passed around the different aunts and uncles but um of course there wasn't cable because her house is literally still off of a dirt road it was <laughs> my, my great grandparents house mm-hmm. um but she had reader's digest condensed books mm. so i read the ted bundy one and then she had you know alfred hitchcock magazines and, and other like you know crime stuff and Reading about Ed Gein, the books I had, I didn't have access to pictures at that time. But when they said, you know, he dressed a woman as a deer, I always thought to myself, I'm like, well, that's not bad. I mean, I've got a deer costume. (laughs) (laughs) Then I discovered what that really meant 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's no, rough. he and and yes, this does pertain to Texas Chainsaw. And folks, this is a movie that's been talked many times, so you'll have to excuse our discussion if it's not fully di- dissecting the film, but it's been dissected many times. But again, the reason. I'm only 20 minutes away, uh, and we've got a viewer. Uh, thank you for stopping by, Jenma Rocks, uh, on the Twitter uh, broadcast. Uh, he mentioned that, yes, Plainfield is only 20 minutes away from where I live. And that's where Mr. Ed Gein was. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so it, it, it's something in Wisconsin. We grow the real crazies in the Midwest. It's just, <laughs> it's the winners. Come on. Uh, <laughs> but when I read about that, and then you see Texas Chainsaw. It adds that little extra level because the furniture made out of bones. It's not just them, especially in 74, going for shock value. He did that. Mm-hmm. The the lampshade made out of human skin. He did that. And he made not only a mask, folks, but a bodysuit made from the parts of the females he killed and in the full moon he would dress up and dance in the moonlight in his yard in his victim suit he also had a belt made of nipples yep from the different corpses that he uh desecrated Mm -hmm. when they found him oh when they oh are we are we are we traumatizing you all over again so (laughs) Maybe that's why I have this extra appreciation for Texas Chainsaw Massacre, because you can see that Toby Hooper, that they, he pulled directly from those case files. It's how, like, how many people did Ed Gein kill? They're not, not, not quite sure. <laughs> I, yeah, no, he, well, uh, possibly three, if you um, right. include his brother, mm-hmm. but the only actual murders he committed were the uh, bartender, and the hardware store yep. owner. Yeah, he. So the rest were what bodies yeah. he dug up or something? Okay, because yeah, he was a great Because because mm-hmm. when you talk about a belt made out of nipples, I'm like, how many bodies is that? No, he he mostly stuck to robbing graves and watching couples make out in graveyards because back in the day, when you have conservative fifties and sixties, uh, people would go to graveyards to make out and and do the nasty. Um, not a lot. Is that why they call it a headstone? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> now I want some head cheese. Ah, there you go. Oh. Oh. No, you really don't. Ironically, it, that was gotta, the title of the movie. That was what? Head cheese was the working title. Oh, of yeah. Texas <laughs> well, because they talk about it, they have that whole discussion because Franklin who a lot of people have deemed one of the most annoying characters in horror film history, um, (laughs) talks extensively about the... And there's foreshadowing there, too, though. Uh, If you look at it, they're talking about the, you know, clubbing of the cows in the head versus the the nail gun that we see in uh, No Country for Old Men. Uh, (laughs) um, It's before that, so they did the sledgehammer, and he talked about his grandpa, but... Yeah, the first kill, which is the kill that my son said he appreciated the most because it wasn't flashy. It wasn't really set up. Dude broke into his house. Leatherface comes around the corner, goes, hey, you're invading my house. Takes the mallet. Thump, and hits the guy. No setup. No, not just boom. I don't know. <laughs> that crazy pig scream that he does. 
and wham. And then the guy, the, the noise that gets me is when he's seizing and Did his feet are just on that metal. Whoa, God. <laughs> and that's yeah. why I actually appreciate that scene too, because the, the, Twitchy, you don't see it that often. I mean, you saw it in The Rock. You know, I just have one question: Is that normal? Why well, yes, yes it is. <laughs> um, you know, you don't normally see that when someone gets hit in the head right away. The twitching and the fact that that guy sells the twitching too. You know, that actor he knew. He's like, this is my scene, man. I get killed. I get to be the first killed by Leatherface. He sells it, um, and it's creepy as fuck. The the twitching. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and then the the, the the punctuation of the the slamming of the metal door, oh. and you realize this is not a normal house. <laughs> like, there's something really weird going on in here. Oh. Yeah, because you don't get to see any, you don't see any of the furniture or anything before then. Before that, you just see taxidermy stuff, and you're like, okay, this guy really loves his taxidermy. Okay. Uh, it's not until she goes in the house looking for her boyfriend after you get the famous butt shot. Uh, that I think to this day that Michael Bay borrows from. But anyway, uh, <laughs> she goes into that's where she finds all the lovely furniture that they've designed, as well as the chicken in the cage. I love the pet kitchen chicken in the cage. <laughs> so random. I that's what there's parts of this film that, that are, you gotta have eggs. You, you do. You do have to have eggs, and then it, it's. This is my favorite sequence. I know it's earlier in the film, but the, I, I just, I think it, if you watch this sequence, it's one of those that sticks with you and it just sets up the rest of the film because after she, he clubs her boyfriend and he tosses him on the table, we don't see that right away. She's looking for him and then she sees him because he comes out of the metal door and he does that famous grab that everybody says out the door. So then folks, I'm going to set it up for you because this is probably my favorite, one of my favorite kills. And I know it sounds sick, but come on, this is a film, not real life. <laughs> one of my favorite kills is that Leatherface takes her, puts her on a meat hook. And then while she's still alive on the meat hook, he carves up her boyfriend in front of her with the chainsaw. What's great is I describe it. It sounds more disturbing and it's actually presented on screen though. Because they're working with a budget, so you don't actually see like like you would now the hook go into her back or whatnot. He cuts away, and suddenly she's. But you've got the impression enough that she's doing it, and then he's cutting up the boyfriend. But he doesn't even. We don't see him cutting off actual pieces. It's a, a far shot, and the there's something blocking the camera to where the the chainsaw is cutting. But you know what he's doing exactly, and. Angelique, what's one of the things when you mentioned Texas Chainsaw Massacre, do people say, wow, that's a gory, bloody movie? Yeah. And, and I'm like, no, you obviously <laughs> haven't watched it because it's honestly and truly not. I mean, the, the most blood we see is uh, when Sally's getting put through the ringer at yeah. the end. Well, um, and, and Franklin is the bloodiest kill. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's a gut shot. Mm -hmm. but And he's got a lot of gut. So. <laughs> and and I guess that's what I appreciate about this film is you mentioned it and people go, oh, that's so gory and disgusting. I'm like, not really. Well, it, it is disgusting, but well, not yeah. for the reasons that they think it is. Right. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it comes back to the, the real horror of what is going on. Like that scene with the, uh, with the hook that you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. When Terry McMinn is up there on the hook, she's like, 
reaching back behind herself because she can feel that she has just been hung on a hook and she's almost in shock like what and then there's this thing this horrible thing happening in front of her it's almost it's it's worse than if they had just shown you know Mm -hmm. a chainsaw going through flesh because that's it's the real nightmare of you feel like you're really in that scenario with her yeah, you feel like you're hiding behind that table as all of that's going on. <laughs> mm-hmm. And granted, a lot of the decisions he's he made was because of budget. But I think this is where it plays in favor of this film. They don't have a whole lot of budget for gore and blood. So what do you do? You have people being chased in a kitchen that has blood on the walls. And you have that image even subconsciously coming in. So even if you don't have something bloody actually happening in front of you, just catching that in the corner of your eye suddenly sets the stage up to like, wow. Yeah, just the sheer filth of the environment. All the filth, all those feathers on the floor when she first falls into the living room. Yeah, like she needed a tetanus shot anyway. Well, there's also, you know, towards the end, the the dinner scene where they mm-hmm. decide to uh, give Grandpa a, a go with the sledgehammer. Oh. oh, the suspense of that, and yeah, Sally does get actually hit on the head, and you see some some you know blood, but it's just the idea, the the clang of the hammer every time it misses, you can feel the weight of that, and just imagine how heavy that would be on your head. And when it keeps missing, it's like, you know, Texas Russian roulette. They're like, oh, my God, I hope this doesn't happen. But I feel like it's going to happen. Even when she gets hit, it's not it doesn't, you know, knock her out or kill her or anything. So they're like, oh, we got to go again. So we're being put through the ordeal again. I get it's it is practically PG-13 in what it in the blood and gore it displays. Mm-hmm. But it's it's X in terms of the, <laughs> the emotional trauma that you're put through the first time you see this movie. Well, well it, the- Go ahead. Sorry, the no. the worst, the most disturbing part. I mean, the dinner table scene, of course, that's that's pinnacle. But the one that got me the most is when she runs to the gas station for help, mm-hmm. and the guy's like, "It's all right, you're gonna be okay." And then he, you know, knocks her out, throws her in that burlap sack, and when he's in the truck and he's just poking her with that broom, oh, that just makes my skin crawl. That is the worst because now like oh crap there is no safe place here mm-hmm. and and once again you imagine that you're inside that sack being poked by some maniac you don't know if that's you know if it's a machete or if it's a broom like is something that come through the sack and impale me like what is going on here yeah you know, the reason i watched this movie last month is because i did an interview with uh a, a film critic and a video essayist named Scout Tafoya, who came out with a book called Cinemophagy, which is about the films of Toby Hooper. And we oh. talked quite a bit about uh, Texas Chainsaw. And one thing he pointed out, it was speculation on his part, something Hooper ever actually addressed it, but um, you know, Hooper was very much into political themes in his mm-hmm. movies. And he, he maintains that Jim Sidow who played the old man at the gas station was purposely kind of accentuated in the hair and the makeup to have this like a Nixonian uh, <laughs> appearance, uh, which for Texas Chainsaw 2 was sort of morphed. And it's eerie to think that you didn't have to do a whole lot to turn him into almost like a Reagan figure. Uh, so there's this <laughs> whole idea of this kind of this machine, this conspiracy that's coming down to literally turn 
the youth, the generation, the young generation in, you know, put them through the meat grinder, whether it's the Vietnam War or, you know, what have you. Yeah, I mean, you can see some of the subtext in there um, with that. I mean, you know, the other things, like with the the radio reports, like we mentioned earlier, are in there. You know, commentary on on, uh, the, (laughs) in a subtle way, you mentioned it, Ian, economy on how the change in economy and some automation i know it sound it's a little reaching i know but you could te- you could draw a line between automation and advancements in production with loss of jobs which is what may have sent some of this family over the edge is the fact they didn't work at a job where they could for lack of a better term uh, have an outlet for their uh, you know, <laughs> their uh, transgress their their impulses, and so they had to turn to humans because, well, they stopped killing cows. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, when they were killing cows, it kind of it satiated that bloodlust so that they didn't have to kill people. But well, and that's that's something that's interesting. I I have not seen all of the Texas. Maybe I have seen all the Texas Chainsaw movies. I think they did an origin movie. Yeah, they did a well, few years ago. A couple, I don't think. What? Yeah, I don't know if I watched that, but mm. I wonder because as you bring up, Mark, they weren't. It's not like this is a family of cannibals going back hundreds of years. This is a relatively new development. So, have they tackled that like in one of these origin movies? Like, what was like to stay? Hey, we're going to make this decision to start eating people, and maybe that drove them crazy. The the origin story kind of goes back further than that with with the child and kind of showing the disturbing, uh, you know, um, if from what I'm remembering it because I've watched them all but uh, not all of them really stuck with me. But if I remember correctly, and Angelique, if you've seen any of them, you can correct me. But they kind of go back further to like the childhood of what sparked Leatherface. You know, psychopathy runs in the family. I think it's right. a, a inbreeding situation. Mm-hmm. That's what it well. was, yeah. And uh, his his skin disease, mm-hmm. <laughs> <Makes Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, having to wear the le- the leather face. That I mean, that you can kind of. There's not just. It's been f- several years that this family started this. Hmm. Well, well, let's not forget. We, oh, I'm sorry. You can go ahead. I was going to say, like, that's kind of disappointing. I mean, I th- mm-hmm. I think people are always trying to reboot and, you know, sequelize and do something with this story. I think if you, if you took the material seriously and just went back to this whole idea of this Texas family that was maybe living high on the hog, you know, no pun intended or maybe pun intended, but then this development came through and they're like, Mm -hmm. okay, we have, maybe that is what drove them insane. Like eating (laughs) people, you know, kind of like mad person disease or something. Yeah. Just, because you could make a horror movie out of that and really explore some cool stuff instead of the tired old, like, oh, he was born evil or, you know, the whole family has always been crazy. You know, that's just, that's horror movie stuff, but it's not scary. Like, this is scary because we're still at the point where there's some mystery to, like, what is the deal with these people, really? Well, I, I, that being said, I'll put a caveat on that. The, the whole family psychopathy thing, mm. that is from the newer. Right. Yeah. Us. Right. This one is strictly okay. You know, their jobs dried up, their money dried up, their food dried up. Here we are, and the, and you know, to to that point, you know, knowing about the meat industry and things like that, I, I haven't delved into like the books and things about 
uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre yet. They're they're mm-hmm. sitting on my <laughs> on my shelf on my to read pile. <laughs> but uh, you know, I wonder if you know that was something that was going to be explored. Like, why are they like this? Did they eat a sick person? Yeah. Oh, that could be. I mean, it, it's interesting hmm. because they've got Grandpa, you know, who is barely alive. He's he's zombie esque. They've been they've been keeping him alive with human blood. Apparently, kind of that impression of, of vampirism. But again, this is where the limited budget works, and where pardon my get off the lawn moment. I really am sorry for this, folks, but. Where the later versions, though I did enjoy the remake with Elba, I, I will say it was done well, but I think limited budget means limited story, which leaves a lot more to your imagination to where they don't do any implication that, oh, grandpa's some supernatural fucking bullshit. No, he's just a guy that they've managed to keep alive. And well, how? Well, he's been sucking on human blood they've been giving him human peeps and maybe that's why he hasn't completely died yet or he's just a stubborn old coot <laughs> you know <laughs> grandma passed away long ago because she's you know she's almost head cheese uh at that point you like know like a cicada <laughs> <laughs> you know and their pet dog really was a long time ago that poor thing uh <laughs> But yeah, Grandpa, I mean, he's he might as well just be dead because yeah. he barely comes alive to, you know, suck on those fingers and and nothing really registers. They're having to put the hammer into his hand and lift his arm up and it just like keeps falling into the bucket. Yeah, <laughs> they, they have to help him. And in fact, it's because of that that gives uh, Sally the opportunity to escape. Um which is which was really interesting. I love. I mean, you've we've seen all the iconic scenes in that, but after she busts through the window and you get her into daylight, you see just how much of a mess she's actually, you know, in and, and covered in blood. Just how much she's really gone through the ringer, and she's not done. Um, you know, one of the things that always disturbed me about that final run is that our hitchhiker uh, can run faster than her. And he catches up to her. And again, a limited budget. You can only shoot so much because he's shooting this on film. So you can't do multiple shots of close up of what he's doing or whatnot. But in the distance, when you see him running, you see him grab her shirt, which has been ripped open already once from jumping through the window once. And he's got that straight razor again, foreshadowing Mm -hmm. from when we saw it way back at the beginning of the movie. And that straight razor comes out a number of times. He's slicing at her back like he's playing. He's just and you're like and you don't realize it right away during the chase until you get when they get closer to the road. And then you look at what he's doing. You're like. Holy shit! <laughs> you know, well, when he when he swings and then you kind of see her arch her back and scream, you know, right then and there. Even though we're not seeing it, I think we only see like one swipe that he takes. Yeah, maybe, um, but you know what he's doing, and it's just like run, girl, run. Mm-hmm. And run. then. And then he gets his just desserts to once again <laughs> a shout out to Astro Rado Z, Mister Derek Carey for shitty dummy. Because we get a shitty dummy <laughs> run over beautifully by a truck. Um, and I, we get the best freeze frame expression. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just, blah, 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 blah. And you're just like, you're like, yeah, all right. <laughs> 
but we'll see him again very soon. We, we do. Well, that's because, and that'll be a discussion for next week. TCM two is, is a different beast entirely. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, and yeah, we've talked about, you know, hinted at the sequels. Uh, they've tried to capture what you have here, but I think it falls back to, and this isn't necessarily get off my lawnmower. It's just the way the films are made today. Part of the, yes, they were disturbing, but when you get Day of the Woman, a.k.a. I Spit on Your Grave, you get Last House on the Left, you get The Hills Have Eyes, the original, you get the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that that era of just disturbing, fucked up movies. Um, a lot of those, I think part of the reason they're even more disturbing is because the what they could get away with with filmmaking back then and the limited budget they were shooting on. Because nowadays you have a lot more safety. And now I haven't seen the other remakes of I Spit on Your Grave, the other sequels. I heard the second one was better. But when I watched the first one, I'm like, they tried, but I'm like, there's just, there's not a way that you make films today legally that you <laughs> could really make them like they did back then. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But I think that's what adds that extra level of disturbing quality because I don't know how you guys feel. It, oh, go it ahead. also takes away from the, the heart of the heart of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, the original I Spit on Your Grave was made because Mayor Zarchi found a rape victim walking down the street mm -hmm. and took her to the police and watched her yeah. you know, bloodied, bruised, you know, Self, having to yeah. go through all this crap with the remake yeah the the remake there's a lot there's yeah. a lot of problems with the remake yeah the, the the remake makes you more scared of the sheriff than of anybody and it's like that's not what you really wanted um just uh just toss out quick before you go in uh start up uh cannibal holocaust would probably be closest to tcm um yeah i could see that uh, very realistic, low budget that has its own issues, a uh, real animal killing. Um, but <laughs> we found that. No, you did not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you did. No, you did it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what were you going to say, Ian? Uh, I was going to say like, uh, you know, uh, why even remake I spit on your grave? It's, it's strictly a branding, mm -hmm kind of an exercise you know it's this shocking movie from the 70s and you know we can do an updated version or whatever i, I haven't seen the remake or you said there's a sequel to the remake two, oh, two my sequels. god two sequels to the remake. two sequels you know what the hell you know th this is not something we and uh, here's my get off the lawn you know conservative soapbox moment uh we don't need to be uh highlighting rape revenge fantasies from the 70s and and rebranding repackaging them mm -hmm. but you know the thing about texas chainsaw massacre is I don't think this would have been a franchise without the Leatherface mask. Yeah. You know, if you think about it, if it was just a guy, you know, if he had just been, you know, I think we're meant to believe that Leatherface has some mental issues. Oh, he uh, does. Yeah. You know, not, mm -hmm. not necessarily that he's crazy, but that he might have some kind of a disability or something. Um, and I think if he had just been, a, you know, some big overweight dude uh, prancing around with a chainsaw, 
it would have been disturbing, but it wouldn't have been an icon. It would have been more like the hillbillies from Deliverance or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, the hillbillies from Deliverance had had leather masks while they were, you know, raping Ned Beatty, rest in peace. Uh, we might be seeing Deliverance, the next generation. <laughs> Don't God forbid. Ideas. No, way I'm to sorry, go. Way to go putting that on the internet now, Ian. Thanks. Now someone's <laughs> going to make that film now. But my, my point is, and if yeah. they do, I'll take full responsibility. My point is, I don't think Leatherface should be a horror icon. Mm-hmm. He's not Freddy Krueger. He's not Jason Voorhees. He's not, you know, even Norman Bates. I'm going back to the, the Todd McFarlane, you know, toys from the late 90s, which right. are great toys and everything. But it just, I've always felt that Leatherface was, <laughs> Leatherface, Leatherface was kind of out of place in this pantheon. He's got a great look, but he's not a monster in the traditional sense. He's not evil. There's nothing. Yeah, he's he has he has issues that needed to be addressed that never were because of whatever life he came from. And you're right. I think if it was just some big guy doing the killing, it's that portrayal that we get of Leatherface, that there is something wrong. But since he wears the mask of human skin, we never see who actually is underneath the mask. But we do get tidbits here and there we get pardon me for saying this but we get a i call it the john waters divine (laughs) moment angelique knows what i'm talking about (laughs) where uh it's uh when she i think when she's in there um and leatherface has the the woman mask on and he's actually dressed in a dress he he cross-dressed talking in a high high voice I, 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 it sounds horrible, but there's the one part right in the beginning in the hallway. He sounds a little bit like divine. I'm like, <laughs> mm. it, just, it just sounds like, you know, I mean, um, so Leatherface is a, a, a genderqueer icon. Yeah, he, he is, you know, and the thing is, again, with the way it's shot in here, it's something that you have to pay attention to because it's not like we get a deliberate full shot of like, like, you know, we would get nowadays a full screenshot of him dressed as a female with the female mask and all that. We, unless you're paying attention to everything going on, cause there's a lot going on in some of these scenes. You don't even realize, Oh wait, he's got a different mask on. He's wearing a right. dress. Oh wait, he's got make. But if you don't notice that it's not exactly waved in front of the camera either that it, you would get nowadays, you know, yeah. just because of the style of filmmaking. And that's what I think adds to why I like the film is because there's a lot of things in here that are just presented to the audience. They're not really waved specifically in front of you and you've got to use your own imagination. And let me tell you, that makes things a lot worse. <laughs> oh yeah. Cause it, it is in a lot of ways, it's a very subjective movie you have to watch this a few times like i didn't even notice that that lamp the human headlamp above the dinner table the first Mm -hmm. time or maybe even a half dozen times i watched it because you realize this is sort of the experience of the people who are you know discovering this family for the first time sally's not sitting there like oh look there's a there's a head up there no she's like she's like constantly looking for an escape or you know pleading for her life she doesn't have time to take in the scenery in the art direction yeah 
<laughs> wow, I loved you done with the place. I tell you, that Mel over there is a wonderful, wonderful sculpture. I love how you have his arms coming out of his head. That's amazing. <laughs> the room to kill. <laughs> I, I can't remember if it's this one or the next one, but there's like a literal armchair. There, this um, one, yeah, this that's one, in this one. Is it? Okay. That's the one that Sally's tied to. Yeah, that's okay. the one that yeah. she's tied to, and you don't realize it at first. You're wondering, wait, is she being tied on someone? No, no it's an armchair, which I wanted to bring up to you guys. Um, he does work dark humor into this film. And again, it's not exactly slapping you in the face, but it's just stuff that happens that you suddenly find yourself kind of snicker. And then you realize this is some disturbing shit that happens. But yeah, she's being tied to a chair that has a human arm on it. And you're like, oh, that's an armchair. <laughs> uh, oh, wait. Never mind. <laughs> well, because it's again, it's that kind of subjectivity. You can imagine someone going around the bend if they decide to start eating people. And what does that do? They're like, oh, we can make art out of the bones. Hey, <laughs> armchair. That's always been a funny expression. Right. Yes. <laughs> Nothing gets thrown away. Well, and in all honesty, I'm going to say it right now. Uh, I'm slow. I must be a shallow puddle because. For the first time watching this film, the opening always kind of got me with the photos and the bodies laying, and then we get the sculpture, you know, the wonderful scene, opening scene. I mean, that's just a wonderful way to open it. But and, and before that, you get no sound. You just hear the digging of the shovels. And I'm like, when you see the photos with that wonderful, disturbing sound effect, I'm like, oh, are those, those crime scene? That's got to be a crime scene camera taking the picture. Yeah, tells you how slow I've watched this film a lot of times, but that was the one part of this film that I, I for whatever reason, I never made the connection till now that no, that was the hitchhiker that that was him taking pictures with his Polaroid camera before he made his sculpture. He's an artiste. He's an artiste. And he's got a lot of art in that house. We don't see all of it up close, but, you know, I personally want the skeleton uh, lamp that was next to Sally's armchair that's got the light bulb inside the chest cavity that lights up the, you know. Um, he had some creative pieces. I'm sorry. Okay. Yes, it sounds <laughs> But I'm like, it makes you wonder if he would have had a different outlet. You know, he's an act he's an artist. And I'm like... Why am I like humanizing this batshit crazy fucker? I like, but he's an art, he's got talent. He just, his medium needs to change. So if he, if the hitchhiker had an art show, would he call it uh, nothing to lose, everything to gain? <laughs> <laughs> no pain, no gain. No pain. There you go. Wait. There's a freaking Plainfield tourism T-shirt. No, no, no. no. Yes, they, they don't. They don't talk about Gein to this day in town. Uh, by the and way, you could have a bar. Uh, well, I'm making the T-shirt because it's going to be a barbell made out of femurs and two heads. Wait, I got. So. I know what. So, uh, how I mentioned earlier, uh, where I was reading this true crime book and the story of Ed Gein, I was reading it while we were on our annual family trip that my mother and I took where for a week we'd go camping around Wisconsin and then the final night we'd stay at a hotel but we would drive through areas of central Wisconsin because she had a lot of family here 
So I'm reading the book and we decide to go into Plainfield. I kid you not, while I'm reading the book, on the the little one of those little light up signs next to the county fair, you know, grounds, it said Bean Festival. And I went, hey mom, look, there's doing a Gein Festival. And she's like, shut up, shut up. <laughs> you don't you don't say that around here. I mean, the window, we were in our car, but I'm like, it's Gein Fest. They're having a Gein <laughs> Which then my mind went off about, you know, wearing masks and, you know, hurry, hurry, step right up. (laughs) Knock the skulls off to get a prize. Um, But, you know, Leatherface, you mentioned back to him being an icon um, and probably not. Again, it goes back to that, that skin face that actually happened. So then you have this guy who's who's not just a big guy who kills people. He's got this mask on, which happened in real life. And you even spin it in the beginning with John Larroquette saying, based off of real events that, you know, I mean, that whole setup, especially when I was talking to my oldest son in 74, I I explained to him, like, there was a lot less information that was at your fingertips that you have now. So just like Blair Witch kind of approach, I'm like, you present a movie saying this is based off of real fact. They can't just go on their Google on their phone while they're watching the movie going, Texas and go, (laughs) no, this, this didn't happen. You know, and I'm like, and so that added to what I think grew was, you know, holy crap. And with its, its rough look, I mean, I'm trying to picture myself back in 74, going to the one screen theater to watch this and watching this going, whoa, you know, and knowing Ed Gein, you know, people are out there that actually do this. It's like just all those elements come together in a wonderful formula, I think, for this film. You know, as far as that reputation goes, I wonder if the the gore and the violent reputation sort of grew out of those early days when you could only watch this like at a drive-in or mm-hmm. at a movie theater. You couldn't run home and, and replay it, you know, on your computer and scrub through the scenes. So you were left with, you probably only saw it once, mm-hmm. you know, unless you were like a horror fiend. So you saw it once in the theater to see what it's all about. Chances are when the really disturbing stuff happened, you're looking away. So you <laughs> assume that there's blood splatter and gore and bones hang out and everything. But then, you know, later on you find out, no, it's just that was it. <laughs> so your, your imagination plus your squeamishness filled in something that just was not there in the first place. Right. And so, you know, I explained it to him and he's like, oh, yeah, I can see that because I'm like, yeah, you know, (laughs) it's just like Blair Witch. Imagine if Blair Witch came out in like 1979 or 80 where, you know, you had the fake documentary and then you have this. Holy crap. People would be (laughs) who lived lose their minds. They would. Oh, yeah. You know, um, so, yeah, and we I, almost did. I mean, I, yeah, and, and we in the 90s, you still had well, I mean, you had to use web crawler and make sure you go to that text only website so it would load on your computer faster. But that uh, I digress. <laughs> Memory. <laughs> Memory. <laughs> Hashtag release the butthole cut. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's the only cut I want to see. That's the only cut I want to see. But speaking of cut, uh, we have to mention the late uh, fantastic performance who went through hell behind scenes, which we found out years later in documentaries, uh, who played Sally Marilyn. Bur- oh my God, her performance in here. I, I did a feature when she passed away, uh, a, a short saying that 
I think, and you guys, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I think her performance helps elevate how disturbing and the scariness of this film is through her performance. No doubt. Yeah. And and the thing is, it's not just a, like a scream queen type of performance. Uh, You know, as I watch this movie more as an adult Mm -hmm. to get beyond just like, Oh, when are they going to get to the killing? You really spend more time with these characters. And for as annoying as, you know, Franklin, you know, the younger Mm -hmm. or older, the the brother was, you really see her straining through this relationship and you see her as like a real person whose life, and they kind of go through the John Larroquette's narration gets to this in the beginning Mm -hmm. that, you know, their life was kind of interrupted and irrevocably changed by this chance encounter uh, with these maniacs. But you get a sense of a fully, uh, a full person that you're watching Mm -hmm. instead of just someone who's like in a horror movie. And Which I think adds to adds to the the trauma that we all experience with her, and then in those last twenty minutes. I mean, we're we're literally watching her go insane mm-hmm. from what she's being put through. the The close ups on her eyes, Oof. there's nothing but pain and madness in those eyes. You know, yeah, she, and the blood vessels, yeah, like yeah. That, oh, that hurts. Robbed. That was Oscar worthy. You know, seriously, there, who else could do that? You know, thinking to yourself, oh, well, this is, you know, this is a movie I'm acting. Da, da, da. No, there was no acting there. No. She was literally going insane. Yeah. And, and it did traumatize, unfortunately, the actress for many years afterwards, yeah. unfortunately, because also the we get the stories later about the uh, the really kind of rancid conditions of the final, you know, dinner scene with the entrails and that and how it actually smelled and all of that. But her performance. Yeah. I mean, people say, well, horror films. I'm like, depending on the horror film, you get some very solid performances. And in my little feature I did after she passed away, I'm like, this film, I don't think quite gets to the level that it's at without her Hmm. because you get that scene in the dinner scene to where they're just being crazy guys and they're laughing and they're being annoying, you know, and she's screaming and want to get out. And then Toby Hooper just represents her break, like where she actually finally breaks. And he does all those quick cuts where she's looking around and her eyes are here. And she's just got this pure look of fear on her face. And it's just like, Holy shit. You know, this is, this is just some next level, type of thing and you're just like you're with her and you're just it's insane cuts and you know everything that he does for that setup and it's her performance I think that elevates it really to just a little bit of that extra oomph for this film that could have faded into obscurity I mean like you said no leather face figure if you had no leather face figure if you didn't quite have the characters you did but especially your performance I mean Okay, <laughs> you know, but I, well, I mean, that's the thing. I think I think this movie still would have had its reputation. Um, I just don't think it would have been sequelized to the degree that yeah. it is now because you don't have that that icon. icon. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. It's it's kind of like uh, you know, Friday the Thirteenth really didn't become Friday the Thirteenth until Jason got that hockey mask mm-hmm. uh, in three, in and three. now it's that's yeah, that's what people kind of associate with, you know. Well, and we'll have this discussion if 
it gets chosen. Uh, I'm not saying it yet. I'll be announcing it at the AMA, what our theme is going to be for next year. But um, Freddie, if you look, if you actually watch the first Nightmare on Elm Street, it's a low budget horror film. You, you watch it. Freddie doesn't have the voice you expect. The, the production value is just a bit above Texas Chainsaw. I know blasphemy, but it's true. I mean, the budget, they're, they're working in a limited budget. And he doesn't become that icon that everybody knows and worked in the pop culture till three. Mm-hmm. He, the, I, well, I, I gotta say, and we don't have to get into the whole thing now, no, so, but, but, but yeah, so please, uh, when that voting happens, you know what to do folks. Um, <laughs> but no, the iconography I think was solidified in two, because I remember again, mm-hmm. going back to the video store and seeing the, you know, the great oh, yeah. Robert Englund, you know, the, the kind of tipping up the hat with the knife finger. Uh, but he was a different character in two than he mm-hmm. was in three. Three solidified. This is the jokey but scary Freddy. Right. And that held on for about two movies. And then he was just, oh, he's the funny guy now. But yeah, there was some really great, weird stuff going on in that third movie. So yeah, that, that maybe that would be something to explore is uh, the the third, the second sequels, third movies on these these mega franchises. What's going on in them? <laughs> we, we actually did that a few years ago. It was the third time's a charm where we looked at films. Oh, well, that, I got to go watch those. Yeah. My mistake. <laughs> no, it's okay. Well, I, no. I think Freddy was the Fresh Prince nightmare on my street. Yeah. Yes. yes. I've got that. I've got that song, uh, yeah. The Nightmare on Mind Street, which they got in trouble for, but that's a whole nother story. Um, but yeah, I mean, Leatherface, you're right. He, that character helped gra- put it into a franchise rather than being a one-off kind of like The Burning is just a one-off horror slasher film, but it's very similar to others, but that you had an iconic character. And we've had that George discussion. George <laughs> we we've had those, Fisher Stevens. There you go. We've had that discussion before, though. Too, you know, with uh, like Army of Darkness. Everybody loves Ash. I'm like, well, which one? You talking about Army of Darkness, Ash, Evil Dead, Evil Dead Two, or Evil Dead? You know, which Ash are you talking about? Because the Ash in Evil Dead One and even in Evil Dead Two is far different than the Ash in Army of Darkness. Yeah, and everybody loves the Ash in Army of Darkness, and then they go back and watch one, and they go, "Where's the haha?" Uh, <laughs> you know, at least I've never gotten that with Texas Chainsaw, though maybe a little bit with Next Generation. And I'm debating. Mister Shearer would like to talk about. Texas Chainsaw Next Generation, which is one that's rough for me to revisit. So I'm weighing in on if that's going to be a Patreon episode, possibly. We'll have to see. But um, I think we'll wrap it up here. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, I see why it's a classic, and I still recommend it. Angelique, what about you? Oh, absolutely. Hands down. Mm. No question. I've got the poster tattooed on my back. I mean, let's, you know. Be real. <laughs> hey, do I want to know where the chainsaw blade goes? Never mind. Uh, <laughs> Up my shoulder blade into my uh, neck. Thank oh, there you. you go. Okay. It goes that direction. Okay. Oh, that's yes. good. Okay. It goes that direction. <laughs> Chains up. Mr. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ian Simmons, what about you? Recommend this still, even though it's 47 years old. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is it it stands the test of time. Um, I think anybody who's turned off by it by either the stories they've heard about how violent it is, turned off by the fact that they've 
made a whole bunch of like terrible sequels. I mean, this is one of the, we've kind of talked about this before the dangers of remakes, bad sequels is if you are of the younger generation that came long after the originals came out and you like, Oh, Texas chainsaw massacre. I'll put this in. There's a new one that came out. You're like, this is terrible. Why would anyone want to watch more of these? And you don't watch the original. You're just being robbed of it, which I think is, you know, one of the accomplices in that, crime or the studios that put this junk out there so yeah definitely this is this is a great legitimately great harrowing film uh and i can say there's a case for the second one which we'll talk about next week uh, yeah. that's you know equally is is it's almost like <laughs> alien and aliens yeah you know exactly. both great but yeah. both very different very different films and i will say as well as we had with our discussion when we did the eight weeks of hitchcock and that i know many people out there don't want to look back at these older films and go well we've seen this before and i'm like yeah but go into it realizing the first time this showed was the first time this happened texas chainsaw massacre is one of those to where watch it kind of with that mindset of what, this was the first time some, some of the stuff that was being done was ever committed to celluloid and put on a big screen in front of large audiences. So, you know, and you can see how many filmmakers after it was in were influenced by this. Just like when we did Hitchcock, if you watch a Hitchcock film, especially a couple, you will see so many Academy Award winning modern filmmakers who would directly ripped off or borrowed or copied the style of Hitchcock and how he did things because, you know, and that's why we love talking. And that's why I at least love talking about films like this and exploring them because you look at it going, wow, they did this back then, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I know it's going it, long, but it, King Kong 1938, look at what they do in King Kong and some of those core things that they did for that back then they're still doing in a different form but it's still basically the same <laughs> right yeah I, I just watched for the first time king kong 76 uh this week um and you know there's a lot of cool stuff going on there and like the first half hour of that movie you know the, one of the complaints of the modern kong godzilla movies they spend too much time with uninteresting characters King Kong 76, they're spending all this time with amazing characters. Like, I just want, <laughs> I, it's a shame. I want to visit the alternate reality where Charles Grodin, Jeff Bridges, and Jessica Lang are just like in these comedy screwball trio movies. <laughs> Ape, apes or not, they're just so great together. Yeah, yeah. So there you have it, folks. Visit the classics. Uh, you might be surprised by some of them. Like I said, uh, King Kong... They used rear projection and guys walking in front of them. You know what the modern version of it is, is? Is how they shot Mandalorian, where they have LCD screens with the projected images. Literally, it's the same concept for a hundred years almost they've been using for special effects. So that's why you should, I think, at least revisit the classics and realize where some of these things came from. And now we'll shut up because, again, this is one of our favorite movies and I could definitely talk more about it. But... We will uh, bring things to a close tonight. And this, as always, is where I give my wonderful patient crew members the license to shill. So, Angelique, ladies first, please, license to shill. Um, follow me on Instagram at hostess underscore with underscore the underscore ghostess. So, <laughs> Host. hostess with the ghostess. Um, got a lot of things coming up. 
of course, uh, so much going on at monstersmadnessandmagic.com. Um, I will also have my first print article coming yep. out soon uh, in a new magazine called Monster Movie Land. Um, nice. This fall, that'll be coming out. Thanks. I'm so happy. Cool. That's awesome. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, yeah. Um, and I've got a, a couple other contributor things uh coming down the line that uh, will be announced, you know, on my Instagram and my Facebook, of course. So, yeah. Awesome. Fantastic stuff. Check that out. The, the hostess, the, the, the ghostess with the hostess. What? I... Hostess with the ghostess. <laughs> hostess with the ghostess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a broken brain folks. I apologize. Anyway. Yeah. Check out Angelique stuff and Mr. Ian Simmons. The floor is now yours, sir. Um, well, I'm Ian Simmons. I run Kicking the Seat, which you can find at kickseat.com. I also have a YouTube channel. Um, just look up Kicking the Seat on YouTube. I do uh, filmmaker interviews, critic roundtables, movie reviews, that kind of stuff uh, several times a week. Um, and including on Wednesday nights, uh, we do a live, usually if there's a Disney Plus Marvel show out, we'll do a weekly recap. And, and Mark has been gracious enough to to hang out and join us uh, for a couple of series now. Right now we're doing Loki. We're wrapping that up in the next couple of weeks. So a lot of fun. Come check it out. Hang out live uh, 9 p.m. Central on Wednesdays. Oh, and... This coming Sunday, because I think this will be up by then. Yeah, it will. Uh, at, oh my gosh, I forgot. I think it's 8.30, yeah. if I have that right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 8.30 p.m. Central. Uh, we'll be talking about Black Widow uh, live. It'll be a live stream about uh, Black Widow. So all of our reactions. Um, and then, Mark, I hope you're going to plug what's happening on Friday with you and your channel. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, it's part of the reason why I kind of embellished uh, for this month and doing the multicasting and everything. 15 years on YouTube this Friday. It's also my birthday. And it's the first video I ever post on YouTube was July 9th, 2006. So it is the 15th Yay. anniversary. This is anniversary week. If you haven't caught it on the YouTube, we've got some special reviews. These two fine folks were happy enough to be on those extended Final Cut episodes. Plus, we got a few other familiar voices and faces to go along with that, all counting down to our AMA 7 o'clock Central Time on the YouTube channel and uh, who knows, maybe more because I can try out this multicast thing, but uh, it's an AMA seven o'clock. I'm not sure exactly everything I'm going to do or what I'm going to cover, but uh, people can pop in and out. We could talk about videos and anything else about my journey on the YouTubes. Uh, if anyone at all is interested uh, and how it's changed over 15 years. So that's happening then, folks. I thank you all for your support and patience and everything. We appreciate our listeners who we've grown quite a bit uh, doing this. And so we thank you all. And now I think we'll just say a good night, everyone. Good night. night. Hey, all my spoiler room friends out there, if you like what you hear, why not head on over to iTunes and like, comment, and even subscribe to our channel. It always helps us out. Or you can find us on Stitcher Radio as well. You can drop us a tweet on the Twitter at SpoilerRoomPDCS or SpecialMarkPro. Look for us also on Facebook at The Spoiler Room Podcast or in the Special Mark Productions Facebook group. Let us know what movies or topics you'd like to be discussed in The Spoiler Room where the conversation is fresh, uh, but we do spoil the movies.